The information presented in this podcast is not intended for the treatment or prevention of disease or any medical condition, nor as a substitute for medical advice. The information contained here in this podcast reflects only the opinion of the author and presenter and is in no way considered required practice. Welcome to Motivation and Muscle, the podcast that connects your brain to your brawn. Hi, this is Eric Fiorello, and I want to welcome you to Motivation and Muscle, streaming radio 24-7. Today is the 3rd of December, if you can believe it, 2018. We're 22 days days away from Christmas Day, if you can believe it. It's unbelievable how fast this year's gone. Um, As I always say, stand up, take a deep breath, out through your mouth. And repeat after me. Usually I hold that for a count of four, but we're doing a show. So, I am a winner. I am a champion. I am unstoppable. And I am basically built, designed, whatever you want to achieve. Success. That's what you want to tell yourself. None of this other nonsense. Because, you know, I wrote a small little blip the other day. How lying has become acceptable. And I was, like, sick when I read it. I was like, is this where everything is going? People don't have any spirit in them anymore. They just buy it, believe it, and sell it. Not me. Not Eminem and not anybody on here. I'm sure of that. So I hit on that. We might even hit it today because we got the great Dr. Wong coming in here shortly. And, like, Logan, who was on before Dr. Wong, it's been a long time. There's been some things with both of them. But we got him back, and that's all that matters now. But there was a thing the other day that was very disturbing about depression. And I know this is a hard time of year for a lot of people. Uh, Our family included. My father passed away December 15th. Um, You know, it's not easy on people, but you know what? You get through it. And there's other things, you know, to deal with that are fun. And my dad's the kind of guy that wouldn't want you crying in his in the soup anyways. He'd kick you in the head. Um, that just wasn't didn't go on in my family. But a lot of people, but the thing that's really sickening to hear, you know, depression, you know, I don't like this, you know, nothing's, I mean, what a way to live. But I heard a thing the other day with that where, So many people feel disenfranchised politically now that they're in this deep depression and, you know, they're talking suicide. Let me tell you something. If this is what politics is, you need to get the hell out. You need to get off your iPhone. You need to get off all this baloney. My God, man, there's more to worry about than Donald Trump. Believe me. And most of that worry is all hatched up by the media anyways. You want to have a good life? Go out and do something. Become an entrepreneur. Go out and lift some stones. You know, go out and meet some people. Say hello to them. Do something. Stop being a candy ass and standing in the corner crying. That's not the way to live. So, those are two things. Now, the first thing is go out to FiorelloBarbellCo.com. Winners and Champions, Inc., that is our premier product. Go out and purchase that for Christmas. I'm telling you right now, the rest of your life, you will rejoice of what that will do to your mind, body, and spirit. And I mean that. Also, too, um, isn't it time to invest in us if you haven't? 
Go out to FiorellaBarbellCo.com, Prosperity Consciousness. $25, or $100 goes right to my PayPal account and break that down over a year. Because I'm telling you right now, everybody out there is charging for their shows now. We're one of the few out there that hope that you're going to buy my product and contribute to the investment in the this show and FBC. Um, and that's why I've never done that. So that's something that if you want to contribute, it'd be much appreciated. And uh, we just keep marching on. As Mickey said to Rocky, you're a greasy Italian tank. That's me. We just keep moving. Also, too, go out to MotivationMuscle.com. Go out and just look at all the shows Dr. Wong and I have done. Uh, you hit slash category slash podcast. There's a ton of them. Also, too, uh, sign up for a free newsletter. That goes to my MailChimp account. And whatever I put out content-wise, you'll get. Invest again in advertising here at MotivationAndMuscle.com. You know, we've got over a 1,000 shows. We've been up a little over four years. There's nobody out there beating the pavement like me. Nobody. And we will get to where we want to get. I got complete confidence and belief in myself. When so many other people said to me, quit, quit, go to hell, never. And obviously, too, go out to our YouTube channel, Fiorella Barbell Company, Real Men, Real Strength, Real Power. And we'll get more and more on in 2019. And on that note, I'm going to give you a little information about Dr. Wong. Let me just slide this down here, and here we go. This guy's got it, man. Dr. Wong, he's a classical naturopath, um, a Ph.D., uh, an exercise uh, physiologist, certified athletic trainer, that's A-A-T-A, certified sports medicine trainer, that's A-S-M-A, World Sports Medicine Hall of Fame member, and World Martial Arts Hall of Fame member. Say that all in one sentence. It'll tongue-tie you for sure. Dr. Wong, it's great to have you back. We've missed you big time. And you know it's always an honor to have you on, sir. I'm very honored that you are in my family here. And obviously all the great things you and I discuss offline, too. So welcome back, my friend. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me back on board. Uh, It's no problem, believe me. It's so easy. Um, Put out all the information, obviously, about you and the company And uh, we're going to talk about something real interesting today. Um, Dr. Wong's talked about this a little bit back and forth through the shows about New York, Brooklyn, when he was a kid. And it was some pretty rough going. And we're going to talk initially, we're going to start out with the mean streets in New York. But give out all the info, the websites, and anything else you would like, my friend. Sure, thank you. Our uh, products can be found at... Dr. Wong's Essentials.com. Dr. Wong's Essentials.com. My writings can be found at drwong.us, as in United States. I've got about 50, 60 articles there on, on health, martial arts, spirituality. And my rantings from 2007 to the summer of 2016 are at drwongradio.com. After that, from the summer of 2016, my podcasts are at the Dr. William Wong's Essentials of Life and Wellness. Long title. I didn't make that up. Michelle did. <laughs> Michelle loves long titles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's all right. Too. <laughs> what else you got? That's it. Okay. Well, Thank you. 
let's bre- let's break this down a little bit. We have talked about it briefly, and a lot of the stuff that happened as a young guy growing up uh, obviously got you into martial arts. But let's talk about where you lived and what was going on in that era, because we know. If we compared it to a lot of these candy asses now that cry about nothing, they wouldn't know what to do. They probably would have got just eaten alive. So let's let's discuss a little bit of the mean streets in New York, Doc. Well, let's see. I grew up way back when. <laughs> they used to give out merit badges for dragon slaying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the... Uh, I was born. I was born on the Lower West Side of Manhattan. Yep. At the old St. Vincent's Hospital. Grew up the first six years in the Bowery District, there in Manhattan, because that's where my dad had got my mom the apartment that they lived in when you know whatever. He was a merchant sailor. Yep. He was away most of the time. Uh, she worked as as a, a seamstress in a in a in a. Uh, piecework uh, textile shop. And then we moved to Brooklyn when I was about six years old, going on seven. And all of my formative years were in Brooklyn. The neighborhood where I lived in started off as an Irish-Italian neighborhood, lower middle class, was really cool. If, by the way, you go online and you take a look at the airplane crash that happened there in 1960, on 7th Avenue and Sterling Place, a huge airliner of, of, of Continental mm-hmm. uh, crashed right at the head of, of – right in the intersection of 7th Avenue and Sterling Place. That was about 200, 300 feet away from the apartment where I lived in. Wow. And the, the hard, no one survived the crash. The people in the buildings that the airplane crushed didn't didn't survive. It was it was just carnage. But that's the block I grew up on. Okay. So 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 starting off, <laughs> the, yeah uh, yeah yeah. I always get hit by a plane. That's it. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> uh, um, anyone who lived in Brooklyn in the sixties. Or the 50s, it was really West Side Story. That we two two avenues down on Fifth Avenue and Sterling Place, for example. Yeah, that whole neighborhood. We had a gang called the Golden Guineas. <laughs> I did not. We had a gang called Down to Kill. Yeah, they were um, a Puerto Rican gang, and I forget what the black gang was called. I think the Fifth Avenue Boys. Yep. And they were constantly doing gang wars. Yeah. One of the times when we were, I was maybe in third grade. My mom and I were were were, were shopping. We had just gone from from Tony's Italian Butcher Shop over to the <laughs> to, to 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 the fish shop and whatever else. Right when we were walking on Fifth Avenue, a gang war started, and kids started shooting zip guns. Now zip guns back then were pipes yep. with. Those bolt locks and the rubber, rubber band meant to shoot twenty twos, and they shot them very badly. Uh, when the Vietnam War started, a couple of things happened. the 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 people in in the shops along Fifth and Sixth Avenue started asking, I think it was the Gallo family, why they were paying protection money. 
because all these gang wars were really bad for business. So what the mob did was they got the heroin concession Mm -hmm. and they were giving the shit away for nothing. They were creating addicts and then ODing them just to kill them. And what the mafia didn't get, the draft boards did. Yep. So either you died of an OD or you got you got drafted. <laughs> you got shipped off to Vietnam and died there. Yeah. Either way, they cleaned out the neighborhood of the gang members in about three years. Wow. In three years there were no gangs left in that in in that neighborhood. But all the Irish had moved out, all the Italians had moved out. It was the height of desegregation. Black folks were moving in. Yep. Uh, a lot of the buildings went from went from being uh, very well taken care of to being Title IX, and things got really, really rough in that neighborhood. At any time of the day or night, you could be stabbed, you could be mugged. Yep. Uh, you uh, there was a, a teacher at the local high school uh, who was who was was raped repeatedly by a number of youths. Yeah. Utes. And I didn't know that the Ute Indians had made it there. Yep. But yeah, the Utes had, had uh, uh, gang raped her. This was, what, 67? Wow. Shit. You know, any time of the day or night, you could hear gunfire. First time I was mugged yep. was 1962. No, excuse me, 61. October of 61. I was out with my friend Vinny Cheka, <laughs> we were trick-or-treating. We were the only two white kids in the neighborhood. Yeah. We got mugged by a black gang who stole our, our <laughs> we beat the living shit out of us. Yeah. Uh, second time I, I was mugged, I was on my way home from lunch. Yeah. From parochial school, I went to St. Augustine's. Yep. The most beautiful church in Brooklyn. Probably one of the most beautiful churches in all of New York. Just an absolutely Gorgeous Gothic, Gothic church. Just you, you go look it up. It's on Sterling Place and Sixth Avenue. Beautiful church. Uh, I was mugged coming uh, home to lunch again by a, another black gang, beating the shit out of. <laughs> and then the third time, that was in fifth grade. The third time, I was in sixth or seventh grade, just beginning it. Uh, one of the nuns had sent me to pick up the New York Times yep. on a Sunday. I got held at knife point. At uh, The kid came up behind me, mm-hmm. Puerto Rican kid, put a, a, a switchblade up to my neck, threatened to cut my throat if I didn't give him whatever I had. So I gave him the 50 cents that, that Sister Sam had given me to, to go get her the paper. Yeah. paper. And then he gave me a fat lip. So I had lots of motivation Either to move the frick out of the neighborhood, yep. which I wanted to do, or to get tough. It was a very Nietzschean situation. Yep. You know, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. Yeah. You know, it, it was almost like, like, like Arnold pushing the wheel in the Conan movie. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, we know that you have the Olympic lifting and the martial arts background and all that. At that point, obviously, you knew you had to do something. Either that or you're going to have to become a wallflower, and I don't see you that way at all. What, what ha- at that point, when you're at knife point, the fat lip, obviously you probably had enough, and you had to do something about it. So 
what happened at, at that point? Was that the signal to, to get into martial arts, or what yeah, did within, you – okay, within, go ahead. Within about a month of that, I joined a martial arts school. The okay. first martial arts school that, that I joined is actually an excellent one. It was Professor V uh, – Professor Visitations School on uh, Atlantic Avenue and uh, close to Pacific Street, right next to the uh, post office there, to the, the 11217 post office, if I remember okay. right. Okay. And – he had a, a studio there that taught jiu-jitsu and taught karate. Uh, I, I, I chose the karate because I didn't like the throwing and the, and the jiu-jitsu stuff. Yep. But I got to speak with Professor Visitation, and what a fantastic introduction to the martial arts. The man was so kind. He was so gentle. He was so nice. He was one of the nicest guys in the world. You would never guess this guy was one of the deadliest guys to ever walk the planet. Yep, yep. And little guy, little Filipino guy, taught uh, hand-to-hand combat to the Marines and to the Army during the Second World War. Really fantastic human being. His daughter, I think, is still one of the uh, New York State uh, Supreme Court judges. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, his, uh, so then my family moved, and I went to another martial arts school where I had the distinct honor of being taught by uh, Professor Russell Kazuki. Mr. K was a veteran of the Nisei uh, 442 Combat Regiment in, in Italy. Mm-hmm. That was the, the U.S. Army all-Japanese regiment that won more decorations probably than any other, the, any other unit in the Army in World War II. Those guys were just badass. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. K was a Hawaiian Kempo stylist. And Kempo is a very hard form of, of karate. If it's, if you're on a, on a scale of hardness, you know, Kempo is like, like, like diamonds. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Nothing soft about Kempo. Yep. And, uh, started there and simultaneously with my starting with Mr. K I started lifting. Yep. Uh, got into the McBurney YMCA, which we've talked about before. It was the center for Olympic lifting in New York City. Yep. And I got to be around all sorts of really nifty lifters. When I when my when I started getting interested more in girls and my my, my lifting turned more towards bodybuilding because I wanted to have the body sure. that, that that women wanted. Then I started lifting at at RNJ Health Club which was the home of everybody who was anybody in weightlift in, in bodybuilding in New York at the time. Okay. If you look at Pumping Iron, yep. most of that was filmed at R&J. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the, I, I'd walk in. Louis Ferrigno would, would be training with his, with his, with his buddy Howie. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, Chris Dickerson would, would be there uh, whenever he was in – in town, Bill Pearl would train there wow. whenever he was in town. Uh, let's see. Sergio would train at Tom Minicello's at 42nd Street, which was uh, Tom Minicello's midtown gym, which was a, a landmark gym. I think it's still there, but it's owned by somebody else. Okay. okay. Uh, and I trained there, too, and Bruno San Martino trained there. Yeah! Now wow. we're talking. Yeah. What a guy to meet. Yep. Bruno San Martino and Crusher Verdue and, and <laughs> all, all, all the wrestlers yeah. from uh, that, that era all trained at Tom Minicello's. And I spent, a, I think I spent a summer training there. Nice. 
Oh, nice. it was odd. Being around those guys was so cool. Oh, hey, let me ask you this, too, before we go on. Um, Obviously, with the second, you know, going into the Kempo and all that martial arts, was the 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 lifting, the Olympic lifting, was that something that you learned from them, or did you just decide on your own to get into it? No, back then, no one lifted in the martial arts. Interesting. No one did any, any conditioning aside from push-ups, sit-ups, and, and some jumping jacks or whatever. There was no aim to do physical conditioning for martial arts back then. I did it on my own. What, but tell me, what what guy, I mean, obviously you had to go somewhere and notice it or notice somebody. What was it that got you interested in it? Gosh. I know, probably, the, I know the girls in bodybuilding, but we're talking the Olympic lifting, the first incarnation. You know, go, going back to 67 after my last mugging, Yeah, I think it was walking by the newsstand and seeing a copy of Strength and Health. No shit. Okay, great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. You know, the, uh, Bob Hoffman had two magazines, Strength and Health and Muscular Development. Yep. Strength yep. and Health was mostly the Olympic lifting magazine. Yep. Muscular Development was mostly the bodybuilding magazine. I used to get both. They were, what, 25 cents Unreal. Each? Don't you yeah. wish you still had them today? <laughs> oh, gosh. No. Yep. My mother threw away a 1941 Mr. America. Uh, Captain God. America. Yep, yep. A buddy, ah! a, a buddy of mine, my buddy Richie, who was a damn good Olympic lifter and strong man, he had every issue of the Perry Raider Iron Man. Oh, God. And when they were all moving, they threw every one of them out. And to this day, he still kicks himself in the ass. I mean, yes. That wealth of knowledge, man, it's just, and you know, it's like the show here too, Doc, um, that kind of stuff is almost impossible to find. You know, you don't hear a lot of these podcasts or whatever. They don't know anything about this and they're not interested. You know, this is a foundational stuff. You know, I mean, I came much later on to it, but I've got a lot of old things here, you know, Iron Man and all those things. I eat that stuff alive, man. And, boy, I'll tell you one thing. In my opinion, you lived in the era. I mean, you know, you think about the guys back then that were not only big, but they were functionally strong. You think about the Olympic lifters. Yeah. Uh, Oh, uh, oh, ah, who's that Polish guy? became a wrestler. Uh, oh, um, um, Put, Putsky, what, what was his no, name? No, 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 uh, uh, American. American. Oh, you know who I mean. Ah, shit, I'm having a senior moment. I probably know, but I, I can't he think. Was, you know, he, he, he was, the only guy who could beat him was Alexiev. Alexiev, yeah. Oh, oh, Pant, uh, Patera. Patera, yes, thank and, you. And Patera. Patera, um, yeah. But I'll tell you what, I, I still think I've heard so many different stories about that with um, Serge Redding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously he figured he pulled it off and, and Alexia could beat him maybe by five pounds. But I've heard rumors for years, and I've talked to people in that era, and they said they think that they really got rid of the press because – Redding was a better presser than Alexia, and that's what the whole thing was about, politics, which could be, that's maybe exactly not. exactly right, yes. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, P- Patera could outpress Alexia oh, yeah. any day of the week 
off a set of stands. He was brutal, man. I mean, and but it just seemed like every time, you know, he gets ill or he, you know, gets whatever from whatever he's eating. I mean, he had a bad string of stuff. I'll tell you this. This is what I was told. And I think it was at an old gym, the old Steel Pier. And I, it was one of the older guys. This is, We're talking a couple decades ago. He told me, and I think there's a guy that's got the bar. And back in the day, a York Olympic bar was, uh, it still is, I'm sure, but it was a vicious bar. You know, you, you weren't breaking a bar like that. Yes, they exactly. said, I don't know what gym it was in, and this is when Patera was in his heyday. They said he shrugged the York Olympic bar so hard he bent it. I believe it. And somebody either bought it or they, they took it and kept it, and I have no idea where that bar is, but that was the rumor all the time. I mean, think of the power that guy had. I mean, un friggin' believable, and obviously he became a wrestler later on and all that, but boy, I, I remember, I, I'll go out and look around, you know, at the old, um, you know, the, the world's strongest man way back in the day, and I liked all that stuff there, bending the rod, and all, I don't know, I, I like what they do now, but it's, it to me, you know, blowing up hot water bottles, and and it was a different bunch, it wasn't just strong it men, was, you know, yeah. right, exactly. it was, a little interesting. Could they do it today? I don't know. Who knows? I mean, you know, um, today's strongest man is more like an endurance contest, absolutely, than a, than a strength <laughs> contest. Absolutely. Know, if, if you're looking for strength, you're looking for one or two reps of something, yep. not you know, eight to ten reps. Yeah, whatever. Um, all right. So let's let's roll. So you're going to some of the biggest gyms around. Maybe even if you didn't know it at the time, we know now they were. So what happens next? Well, something called Hungry Fists. Oh, okay. In Kung Fu, there's a period of time when you first start learning martial arts when you're really bloody anxious to try it out. You want to see if all this shit really, really works or if you're wasting your time. And once you find out that it does work, you want to do it again because it just feels so good to beat somebody's skull in. <laughs> my, first, my first karate fight was over a girl in eighth grade with a guy named John Smith, who beat the living shit out of me. <laughs> His dad was a boxer who taught him to box. And he ate all every shot John aimed was from my head. Yep. That's karate's weakest point, because high blocks don't work worth a shit. Yep. <laughs> One of the reasons I got into Wing Chun. But, uh, the high block is absolutely useless. You're blocking nothing but air. Yep. And I, looking back on it now, I wish I would have taken up boxing for a a few years along with everything else I did because it would have given me a very, very, very different idea of attack and defense, especially in regards to the head. In yep. Wing Chun, the head, especially the neck and throat, are the major targets. The other major target is is the knee mm -hmm. and the elbows. If you can control the knees and the elbows, they can't touch you. You could kill a guy by hitting him in the throat. So why mess with anything else? Right. And it's very, very simple, very effective, primarily meant for women who are defending themselves against larger, stronger opponents. But as we saw with, with, with Bruce Lee, works great for, for guys as well. Yeah. So after being beaten up in my first fight, 
pretty badly too, but I think I walked around with a few concussions for a while. <laughs> Not bad for no for eighth grade. But thank you, John Smith, for showing me where my weaknesses were. Yeah, yeah. Wake up. Yeah, exactly. So I kept on doing karate for another few years. Somewhere in the middle, late high school, I got into trouble. I won't exactly say what. Yep. But I went off and I decided I'd had enough of high school. I couldn't, you know, everything was so freaking slow. Everything they were teaching me in high school, I'd already had in parochial school. Yep. You know, couldn't stand it. Went off and lied about my age, joined the Marine Corps. Yep. That was a very maturing experience for a 16-year-old. Oh, yeah. 16-year-old. And it gave me the mindset to go along with the martial arts and with the lifting. And in, in boot camp in the core, they basically open up your skull, pull out all the wires, rewire it their way, and you will never ever, ever be the same again because there's no way you can rewire it the way it was before. Right. The the rewiring they do is permanent. Thank God. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it's one thing to know technique. It's another thing to be strong. But the mental aspect of putting everything together is the key to making everything work. Yep. You know, we've all seen guys who... who who have the potential to be great lifters, have the potential to have great physiques, have the potential to be great porno stars, you know, anything. Yeah. But if they don't have the willpower to get there, yep. to do the work, uh, John Pressfield, who is, is is famous for writing books about uh, uh, the warrior ethos, yep. did a book called Do the Work. Get the work done to accomplish whatever goals you set out for yourself. Don't just sit there and dream. We've talked about the difference between the dreamer yep. and the warrior. The dreamer yep. dreams great things for themselves. I'm going to be this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to accomplish this great thing. I'm going to get that great babe. But then the warrior's got to go out and actually do the work to get the thing done. Most folks, everyone's got the dreamer. Dreaming's easy to do. I can yep. sit here and, and, and you know, I, I, I can have an orgy in my head with 29 beautiful women right yep. now and just, you know, get all drained out and whatever else. But unless, if I really want that to happen, I better work damn hard to Hell yeah. accomplish it because it ain't just going to happen. So, go ahead, go ahead. No, no. Well, uh, all right, so <laughs> Marines, big change of attitude, rewired like we talk about here all the time. What are we doing now, martial art wise? Are, have you been laying well, off? Are you going into something else? Where'd no, you go I, from that? I, I, I did, I did hard kempo for about seven years, and then one of my fellow kempo students, who was also a kid that I grew up with, uh, had switched over to Wing Chun about a year or so before. He introduced me to Moyat, who became my my Wing Chun sifu. I became one of his disciples. I became the twenty fifth disciple. Wow. Of Grandmaster, great Grandmaster Moyat. And then my Wing Chun, then I started really getting bad, hungry fists. Give you an example. I took the job as a bouncer in one of the skeeviest bars in Cheapside Bay in Brooklyn. (laughs) 
every other bouncer there was a football lineman, yep. six foot two by six foot two, you know, looking like you. And here I am. I'm 158 pounds. Yep. I've got love beads and a ponytail because I just got out of the core. So, you know, I, yep. I, I, I was tired of getting my head shaved and stuff. Yeah. And, and, and I look like a really skinny hippie standing on a chair monitoring the dance floor for guys going overboard and for drug use. Yep. What I didn't know about this bar, now, mind you, this bar was owned by cops. <clears throat> what I didn't know about this bar is that the, the cops behind the bar were yeah. selling coke. Oh, jeez. <laughs> they were stealing it yep. from the property room. <laughs> yep. So a narc would bust a kid, and either he would not give everything over to the property clerk and give it to these guys to sell, or they would just raid the property clerk's office every now and then and take stuff which was very common back then in the NYPD, and it's probably still common now. Sure. One thing about the NYPD, since 1900, every 20 years since Teddy Roosevelt was commissioner, the NYPD has a special commission to get out all the corruption in the NYPD, and it never freaking works. Good luck, yeah. You know, yeah, right. My era was a Serpico era. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. The, We had the, the NAP commission. And then, uh, then in the 80s, they had... An, Another commission and almost an entire an entire precinct in the in in Queens got got locked up for for all sorts of nasty stuff that they were doing yeah. everything from drug dealing to murder uh, so every everyone from the captain down yeah <laughs> dirty as can be yeah so uh, that was the atmosphere in which we were all working in and this this bar had a really sleazy clientele. Yep. Uh, we were one of the hangouts for the for the Hell's Angels. Okay. Fortunately for us, whenever there was a fight, the Angels were on my side. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. That's a good thing. Oh, God, it was so cool watching yep. these guys deconstruct people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love it was it. an art form yep. to watch these guys fight. It yep. was great. But uh, I, I never had a fight last over. I never had a barroom brawl last over two and a half minutes, and I can honestly say, without any hint of, 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 of making it up or whatever, I never had to hit anyone more than once. Good. I might have told you that, that I used to love to hit poles and trees and, and, and stuff, and I, I still do. I wore out my right shoulder doing that. I've got, I've got no humeral head on my right shoulder because of that. Yep. Uh, but I used to hang bags of sand and rocks on, on trees and practice both the Wing Chun punching and the inch punching. If you've ever seen, uh, go onto YouTube and watch Bruce Lee do the inch punch. Okay. You move your fist an, an inch when you hit a guy, and he goes flying back about six, seven feet. <laughs> really, it. really cool. Yep. And there's, and there's another technique called the floating punch, which is like the in, inch punch, except it's it's a, like a like a blindsided, sneaky, low punch to the to right around just below the belly button. Oh. And you could basically blow up a guy's bladder oh. <laughs> and, and, and make his sexual organs go bye-bye. Yeah, that would get your attention quick. <laughs> yeah, it would. <laughs> More uh, than once, yeah. I sent guys home to pee blood because I used to love to spin people around and just reverse punch them in the kidneys. Yep, yep. End yep. of fight. Yep. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. That'll put you right down. But, all right, so you're, you're bouncing at this establishment. Where where are we going now? Where where what was the I'm next a middle step? Undergrad, or yep. I just started undergrad. Okay. 
uh, I'm still lifting, but not as much because my studies are just too in, intense. That was a time when I actually followed Dr. Philip Rash's recommendations. Let me tell you about doc, Dr. Rash. Sure. He was a physical educator with at least one, probably two PhDs. Uh, but he was the, the founder and the head of the Naval Human Performance Laboratory in Marine Base Quantico, Virginia. Okay. Uh, he founded the, the physical training school there as well, the school that taught all the PT instructors how to, how to do PT and what the principles of physical education were. He had a, a theory that the upper body pulls and the lower body pushes. If you watch a baby crawl across the floor, yep. he's pulling with his uppers and pushing with his lowers. Yep. 70% of the muscles in the upper body pull, 70% of the muscles in the lower body push, yep. then all you've got left is, is, is a waist and lower back. Yep. So he, he's put together this workout based on those principles, and the Marine PFT is still based on those principles. It's chin-ups, yep. sit-ups, and a three-mile run. Lower body strength, midsection strength, upper body strength. Mm -hmm. The Army's just got the, the opposite. They use push-ups instead of the pull-ups. So they're testing one-third of the upper body muscles instead of the core, which is testing 70% of the upper body muscles. Yep. The Army always, Army's always fucked up. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so the, 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 using Dr. Rash's principles. I fine-tuned it down a little, little, little bit more. I would do chins to failure, dips to failure, uh, crunch sit-ups, and a, a, a one to three-mile run. Yep. And I did that throughout most of my college career, most of my undergraduate career. Then, while I was working in grad school and going to nat nat naturopathic school, I was also running yeah. an executive health and fitness center on Wall Street, which was had all the. 19, uh, late 1970s, early 1980s, uh, Nautilus stuff. Yep. So during that period, I was Nautilizing. Yeah. Uh, Arthur Jones. Exactly. Some of his principles were okay. Some of them were not. Some of them worked out. Some of them didn't. Uh, and, it, but for, for the most part, they were, they, they were sound. Yeah. But they weren't really weightlifting. No. And they were definitely not bodybuilding. They were somewhere in the middle, which I'll call fitness. <laughs> yeah. Lack of a better term. You didn't need skill to lift like you did with with, with uh, Olympic lifting. You know, the reason why Ken Patera couldn't beat uh, uh, Alexiev on, on, on the clean and jerk, Tommy Kono said, was because his second pull was never timed well enough because he didn't have the neurons, yep. the, the, the neuromuscular reactions, yep. to do the second pull correctly. Yep. He would always blow the timing, uh, which is why once they got rid of the press, yeah. they made sure that he couldn't win the gold medal yep. because he could have beat Alexiev on the press any day of the week, yep. dead cold. You could have pulled Patera out of the freezer, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. given him a warm-up. And he could have still beat Alexei on a press yeah. from, from the stands. But uh, so using the Nautilus principles, I maintained fitness and whatever else. Yeah. Then going into practice when, when uh, uh, left, left New York in, in 81, yep. the same year that the movie Escape from, from, from New York happened. Yeah. <laughs> 
and that's what I considered myself doing. Time to go. I have to say that I despise New York City. Yeah. The best thing that can happen is for Russian thermonuclear sterilization <laughs> in place. And, you know, that'll take care of the liberals and the roaches at the same time. Yeah. Although the roaches may survive, the liberals, thank God, won't. Yep. Uh, but I can't wait for that place to be sterilized. Um, I, I think it's going to happen sooner than later, too. That's, I mean, um, um, just a ridiculous, ridiculous um, verbiage I've been hearing lately. And, you know, everything's global warming. That's why, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> come on. Right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, um, the big thing is, I guess, that tunnel that needs to all be redone um, that was promised during the Obama era. Never got done, so I guess Cuomo's put the word out that they need to be a little kinder with Trump because he's going to meet him, I guess, this week and, you know, beg him for money. And I, I read a thing the end of last week, and they said um, Trump made the point where he's going to have to come up with at least 85% of the money. It sounds like they don't have anything. So, they're, um, you, know, they're, you know, they're paying welfare for a million and a half welfare recipients. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in the city alone, never mind upstate. I mean, you guys upstate can starve. They're going to take care of the city because that's where their votes come from. Yeah, well, we're, we're it's dying here in Albany. Believe me, um, I, I, you know, unless she gets that infusion from Cuomo, this town is bankrupt. And um, you know, I can see why. Without getting into this too much, um, you know, it's like everything, Doc. Uh, Leadership is a very hard commodity to find now, and when you have people that live by um, without, and that goes for people, too, that have the education and the resources, you're not going to get much. And I see, you know, Albany was a nice city, and it has, and it had potential but it's not going to happen anymore because yeah. of I, I believe there's over ninety thousand a year or more leaving upstate. Um, it's too bad. Uh, and the thing is, um, with the way they're handling things and the way they treat, obviously the president, you know, um, they're not going to get what they got with Obama before and all that and all these criminal laws that have been passed and all that. Um, this place is in for a rude awakening, and if he doesn't get the money he needs, she's not going to get – the mayor here won't get anything she needs. And the thing is, you know, and we'll get right back because I don't want to get too into this, is this. You're uninviting the business through your taxation and everything else. Exactly. So we get nobody to come here. The majority of the good ones, they're chasing out of here. And, right. and, and anybody that comes in here – they're giving them 10 years of tax money that once it dries up, they're leaving. So um, it's it's a shame. I, I mean, and when you hear them talk, well, we'll do this and we'll do that. You know damn well they have no idea what they're talking about. They don't analyze anything and they just think, ah, you know, it'll happen. It's not going to happen. And the police force here is pretty much deballed as much as it can be. Um, it, it's, it's a sad Sad, sad time. Now, I know there's a lot of other places in the country that are good, bad, and indifferent, but New York 
you know, I knew he was going to get elected as as governor again, Cuomo. And I said, because he's never going anywhere national. I don't care what he thinks. Um, I said, four more years of him, you can flush it in the toilet. Now, he's all happy about Amazon coming here. But the money they paid to get him them here, disgusting, man. And that's a multi-billion dollar company. Now, can I see him giving some tax breaks? Yeah, I got no problem with that as long as you're going to employ a lot of people here. You know, I don't want to hear you're only going to put on 500 people in the next 10 years. I'd be like, you're not getting a penny here. All right? But Cuomo's coming out saying it's a win-win. If you really look at it statistically, we got our ass handed to us again. So, yeah. you know, I can understand why you left New York. Now, when you left New York, where did you end up going the first time, Doc? Uh, my, the gal I was, I was married to then. Yep. Went to chiropractic school down in South Carolina. Okay. So we moved to a place called Spartanburg. Spartan, yes. Yeah. And a really interesting town. About 35, 36,000 folks. Seven colleges. Wow. Uh, and I, 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 I spent some time as the head trainer at Wofford College down there. Mm-hmm. And I also worked at, again in, in gyms and the, and the fitness industry. But the, the main thing that I did there in terms of work was I taught Wing Chun. Nice. And I, yep. I can I can honestly tell you that some of the best students I've had, I've had great students in South Carolina, had great students in Arizona. The South Carolina students were among some of the greatest Wing Chun practitioners that I've ever seen. I can't take the credit for all of it. Yep. <laughs> I, yep. I, take, I take the credit for some of it. Yep. Uh, after I, I left... They kept on studying with, with Francis Fong, who's down in Atlanta, who's a fantastic Wing Chun master. Okay. Grandmaster. And, uh, but the best students I've ever had have come from, from South Carolina and then my students from uh, Arizona. There are three guys in particular in South Carolina and two in particular in Arizona who were just the cream of the crop ace students. Absolutely fantastic martial arts fighters. Mm-hmm. They were all the the guys in South Carolina were already black belts all to begin with. They were black belts in uh, other martial arts systems. Uh, most I think was Koyukushindai, which is uh, uh, Masoyama's martial art, which is a very tough and very hard form of of, of uh, karate. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen Masoyama, the, the the guy used to fight bulls and kill them. <laughs> Love with his it. bare hands. Love they it. They were little bulls, but they were still bulls. You know? Still, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I, – I can't think of anyone else who could kill a bull with his bare hands. Wow. Incredible. Masoyama used to get into a three-piece suit with a walking cane and walk down the worst streets and back alleys in Tokyo just for practice. <laughs> yeah, come and get me. There exactly, you go. Which, Boom. Which, which – a buddy of mine, Bill Benson, who was uh, later Army Security Agency, Army Intelligence, Fifth uh, and Seventh Special Forces. We, back when we were kids, we would about three, four o'clock in the morning, we'd walk through Prospect Park in Brooklyn. Yeah. Try to act like 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 we're like lost and stupid. Yeah. Uh, begging to be mugged. Yeah. Because we needed the practice. Yep. No one ever did. I wonder why. <laughs> uh, they're, they're, look, it, 
we all know there's a certain energy and aura you give off, and and people pick that up, and they're like, "I'm not going to screw with those guys," <laughs> you know. Maybe because um, we rattled, we were carrying so many weapons, we probably rattled. <laughs> probably, but but you know what? Maybe I'll give them a little bit of credit. Maybe they're a little bit smarter than they look. You know, I yeah. mean, look. And in today's world, especially, you better have something behind you, you know. And uh, there's a lot of people that think that they're tough nuts. But as I, w- I don't remember who I was talking to the other day about it. I said, you'll know what you're made of the first time you get hit. Because yeah. both, when you get hit the first time and hard, you're going to do one or two things. You're going to run or you're going to stand and fight. And that's the amazing thing, because when we talk about things registering to your brain, believe <laughs> me, a good hit will register hard. Now, look. And John Smith taught me that in eighth yeah, grade. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I was stupid enough to stand there and take it. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to high block. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, what, you know what else, too? I mean, I'll say it's not wrong to run. I mean, if someone pulls a gun on you, you can go for it. But, you know, there's no shame in leaving the scene. Myself, I'd probably take the gunshot or do whatever. But, you know, I'll see you in another day. That's the way I look at it because, you know, sooner or later you're going to meet up with that prick and finish him off. So <laughs> that's the way I look at it. All right, so we're Arizona. We're in the Carolinas. Where, where are we going next? Oh, after Arizona, we headed to Texas. Okay. And first, so San Antonio. Yep. San Antonio's a really neat town. The only drawback was that right around May, as soon as you step outside, you're freaking soaking wet. <laughs> yep. Yep. And so hot. You, you, you take a shower. You step out of the shower and dry off. Yeah. Five minutes later, you're freaking soaking wet. Yeah. Uh, we... We went house hunting. Yep. And I love old houses, especially craftsmen's. And I love southern, both colonials and southern plantation houses. Okay. You know, you know, yep. it, it, it's, it, it, they're, they're just magnificent. But we found a town in north central Texas that had basically died. It had been a health resort for almost 80 years. Mm-hmm. America's number one health resort. FDA came down and closed all the resorts down. It, it, they had had an army base here that was the the U.S. Army's main helicopter training, primary helicopter training center, and they closed the base down, so the, the the town just died. Wow! And this place had so many magnificent houses. I mean, absolutely, truly magnificent because this place used to have money. Yeah, yeah. And then the houses fell into disrepair. Yeah. When Michelle and I were looking for a place to go. God led me to yep. look at the houses here. Yep. We fell in love with the house, which we 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 uh, renovated the house that I'm sitting in now, yep. which is a, called an airplane craftsman because it's a two-story craftsman. Uh, if you've ever seen the craftsman-style houses, they were very popular in the uh, early 1900s. This one was built in 1927. Mm-hmm. The walls are a foot thick. Wow. And they're, they're, it, it, it's a magnificent house. We've we've since renovated two other old houses here, one dating back to before the county was actually keeping records. The Holy addition cow. to the house, which was built after the main house was built, we discovered newspapers in the walls in the addition of the house. They nice. used to glue newspaper, newspapers on as windbreaks. Wow. The, the, the paper was dated 1891. Holy cow. 
And that's in the addition to the house. Yep. So uh, lots of that old stuff here, super affordable, uh, and and absolutely just drop-dead gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I love houses. I was an apartment kid. Yeah. I was raised in apartments. I hated living in a rat cage because you had people above you, people below oh, you. Oh, yeah. Yep. Of you. It, it, was, it, it was just gosh awful. And I, it, to me, it was city living. Yep. I wanted to live in a very small town. Yep. Wanted not, not to have to hear my neighbors. Wanted to live in a really nice house. We got that all in Texas. Nice. Nice. And you know what? It's a long way from New York, but it, it, it's, a, it's a great, you know, you've lived a very um, interesting life. Um, you know, not only with starting out where you came from, and you went through a process of not only that's one of the things I was saying. I mean, I can imagine just the characters you met. I was saying to my mom the other night, especially with the Italians. You know, we used to go to my grandfather's because they were all from Boston, the North End originally. And you know, Uncle Mikey and Aunt Josie and all these people, and. You know, sometimes, you know, my dad would say, yeah, you know, like there was always some story with these people, you know, and some of them might have gotten a little trouble at one time and all that. But my point is this, like you with New York and as you moved on, I don't think you find characters like that anymore. Oh, gosh, no. Yeah. No, let me tell you about my 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 first best man. Yep. Ricky Boo Boo Tanagretta. I love it. Yep. <laughs> Boo Boo. Um, they always had great names. <laughs> because yep. he used to make boo-boos. Yep. And, and what an absolutely fantastic guy. But your typical leather jacket Italian kid. Yep, yep, yep. It was great hanging out with him and Marty Katz. Yep. So, you know, here, here, Katz, Wong, and Tanagretta. Yep. You know, you, 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 you basically got, what, three different ethnicities. And everyone's mother fed everyone else back then. That's cool. Yep. Didn't matter yep. who you were. Yep. If you were visiting some somebody's house, their mom fed you, yep. regardless of what you know, what what color, creed, yep. or anything else yep. you were. Yep. It was, it was, it was really great. I, you know, I didn't realize that that there was a separation between ethnicities and races and shit until everyone started making it so. Yeah, because I agree. It wasn't yep. that way. Yep. Oh, I you know, agree. That 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 best friend I, yep, I told you about. He's black. Uh, my other best friend, head trainer for the Knicks, he's yep. black. Yep. Both of those guys love living in Texas. Matter yep. of fact, Roger still does when he's well, during during the off season. Yep. Uh, but you know, they they they, 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 New York is a New York City is a good place to be from. <laughs> it's not a good place to be in. No, in not at all. Not at all. Not at all. It. You know, it was interesting coming in on a tail end of so many things and. You know, when you talk about these characters and, and, and you know, families did, thought nothing of having you sit down at the dinner table or, you know, if you're out screwing around, somebody else's father would give you a boot in the behind, you know. Exactly, um, yes. Yeah. That's, that's it, what Ricky said. Yeah. <laughs> yes. it, it, but, you know what I mean? It, it was a – it's too bad that the eras of that are gone, you know, and they're gone right. mostly because of political correctness, obviously – and to be honest with you, especially parents now, a lot of kids, they want to be friends with them. There's not a line that 
they know when they cross it, there could be some uh, some ramifications for it. And that's unfortunate. But, you know, I miss it. We didn't go over there a lot, obviously, because, you know, it, it was a distance. But, you know, you go over there on a Sunday and, and dinner and, you know, and you hear them all talking about this and that. And sometimes, you know, you, you got to go inside, you know, like that. But, you know, something, there's such love there and cohesion and all that. And you knew if you stepped out of line, you're going to get it. But you also knew that, man, oh, man, you never were afraid. You always knew that if anything went down outside of who was there, there would be big-time implications for that. Exactly. And, yes. and, and, you know, Doc, as a kid, you know, and I'm sure kids are no different now, it's nice to know that an uncle or an aunt or somebody other than your mom and dad, you know damn well that if anything ever went down, they would defend your honor all the way. And, um, yes. you know, it, it, it's um, it's a shame in a lot of ways. There's still a lot of good families out there, a lot of good people. I'm not going to be one of these people that are just going to pull the veil down and say it's it's hopeless. It's not hopeless. The problem is the things that are held in high esteem are hopeless, and what they try to sell is hopeless. I mean, I said we to you – back to the values of the 50s and the 60s? Yep. The early 60s. Yep. Not the mid to late 60s. No, no. When, and, when, when like you said, the family – you know, you, you could be on a – a block, and all the mothers on the block are basically your mothers, and yeah. all the fathers on the block yeah. are basically your yep. fathers, and everyone gives everyone else permission to correct their kids. Yeah, yeah, it, and it, to help their kids. Uh, it, it's it, and and they worked hard, and you know maybe they didn't have a lot, but what they had, man, they just gave and gave and gave, exactly. and right, and you know they loved you, and and. You know, they might have been giving you tough love, but boy, when you walk out into the world, you're more prepared than you'll ever know. It's unfortunate because we just see so many kids fractured and splintered, as I would say. And, you know, like a show like today, which is so interesting to talk about your past um, and where we are right now, those are things that people should be gravitating to you know talking about things the family we always get talking about all that and you start laughing man because it's it maybe at the time you didn't realize it but it was some really good times i mean i tell people you know i I am a cemetery goer most of my family are not and my dad and jimmy are in the same plot and eventually my mother leaves the earth she'll be there with them and um, I miss my father, big time. Yeah, I'd love to have my father here right now, especially with the business. But I don't. And I talk to him all the time. And I don't know, I, I hear things in my head. I don't know if it's a communication or what. But they are energy, you know. And I owe my dad a lot, even though he and I used to butt heads all the time. That's the way it's supposed to be. Yep. Your dad's not supposed to be your buddy. He's supposed to be your father. Exactly. And you wouldn't believe the things that go through my head sometimes, you know, and I like going down there. Sometimes I'll grab a book and I'll read the both of them. And people say to me, well, they're not there. I said, how do you know where they are? I mean, their energy could be right around me as I'm standing there. The thing is this. For me, everything doesn't have to have a reason to it. Okay. 
How about just going on your damn faith, your belief? And that's what we were talking about before with Logan. You're never going to make it anywhere if you don't believe, whether it's in God, yourself, yourself and God, whatever it is. I don't know anybody that's ever been a successful person without belief. And why? Because the majority of people are just going to turn turn their back on you, especially if it's something you're going after that scares the piss out of them. And that's, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's why I say these stories you're talking about growing up and, and all the people you meet and the characters out there, man, that is the essence of life. It really is. We've lost a lot of that. And as far as I'm concerned, I love talking about it, and I'll keep talking about it because it's nice to think back. It's nice to think back of all the Christmases we've had here. And, you know, my mother and I will get talking about it laughing so hard. You know, we'd be faking we were asleep. Of course, I was upstairs, and Jimmy and my brother John would be in the back bedroom because they had to have that for Jimmy with the bathroom. And they knew. And I would somehow try to sneak down the stairs, and I'd sneak down, and i they'd be awake, but I'd pretend like I was waking them up. You know, Jimmy couldn't walk or anything, so John and I used to have to literally pick him up out of bed and drag him, all right? And we'd, be, we'd have our flashlights hidden, and we'd be looking at him. And I know my father knew, and it was hilarious. We'd hear him coming downstairs. What's all the noise? Who's down here? Jimmy and I, usually, I would drag him behind one of the big chairs, the poor guy. And I would just hold on to him and John be hiding, too. The old man be in the middle of the living room. He knew we were down here, but he <laughs> never skunked us, man. And it was it was, it was was times like that that you think about, you know, that yeah. I'd love to be able to sit down with my father right now. I said, do you remember that? And he'd be like, he goes, I know where you guys were. But <laughs> it was the idea that he allowed us to do that. You know, he, he set knew, up the magic for the yeah, children. It was the magic, man. Yes. You know, finding all the great things, you know, and, 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 you know, looking through all the stuff that was wrapped with our names on it. And, you know, yeah. the toys and toys where they'd be sitting there, obviously, unwrapped that they were probably up till midnight putting together. You know, it's those little things that just show you how much your parents love you. They might be on your ass and you get tired of them. But, mm. man, oh, man, you don't forget about those things. And they matter when you get a little older and you appreciate it even more, that gratitude, you know. But it, it's some great stuff, and it was great to hear about the mean streets in New York because, um, you know, you figure all those formidable years where you are right now, I mean, that was a big shaper for you, you know? When I, when I think about the folks that I, that I met, the professors that yep. I had, yep. but just in terms of weightlifting, yep. you know, Bill March. Yep. Wow. Yeah, think about that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, wow. Yep. Uh, you know, of uh, uh, being in the same. You know, I I never thought about it while I was doing it. Yep. I was fifteen, sixteen years old, and here I am in the same gym yep. at the same time. I mean, let's call it a a gym. R and J was maybe fifteen feet across and maybe thirty feet down. Nothing. Nothing. So it what you see. In 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 uh, in in uh, pumping, pumping iron, iron. Yep. is what was there, and so in the same room, you got Johnny Iano, who was yep. was was a little Italian guy, who was was like a fire plug, had a great great body, 
always making jokes about sex. Yeah. I learned more about sex in the gym than yeah. I did <laughs> having sex. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then you've got Steve Mahalik, who I think was a yep. AAU Mr. America in uh, 1980. Yep. You, you've, you've, you've got uh, Lou Ferrigno. Yep. You've got uh, Howie is his training partner. As I said, whenever Boyer Co. was, yep. was in town, he, 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 would, he would train there. Marvin Eater. Oh, Mr. Bedpress. King of the Dead. Yep. He had, he had just about quit training then. Yep. But he was a plumber in Brooklyn. He'd, he'd come by and say hi to, 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 to Dr. Julie Levine and to the other old guys who were, who were there who, you know, remembered him. But God, Marvin Eater? Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Really? Um, that's the thing. You know, as a young kid, I remember we were pretty young and Sergio Oliva came. To, oh, the, to the big gym we were in. And I remember him apologizing. He said, I'm kind of smooth. I'm not in good shape. He still had that Cuban thick accent, accent yeah. too. I think he said he was around 265. To this day, he was one of the biggest individuals i ever seen in my life. I mean, huge. But, you know, Olympic lifting carries through your life, and who knows exactly what he was doing. But you think back and say, holy God, I see. And there used to be a lot of the wrestlers coming in there. I mean, it was a huge gym. It was big. It was a hardcore place. Um, yeah, it, it, it's just I, I've tried to really appreciate things much more, especially, you know, with Eminem and, and meeting some of these people that I read about as a kid, you know, and, and now I'm friends with them and they come on the show. It. it it's a pretty special time for me, especially, um, yeah. and I don't take any of it for granted. But I'll tell you what, I put myself in this position, and I'm going to go much further with it with everybody, and we're going to have a lot of new stories to talk about in the next year and things. Um, there's nothing like life, Doc, let me tell you. Nothing like it. Um, it can throw you curveball after curveball, but sooner or later... You get to the destination you need to, and you need to have those curveballs because you and I are talking about all this stuff. There's going to be plenty of things to talk about with the curveballs, too, when you're standing there. You know, and that's what people don't understand. They think that it's got to happen, and if it doesn't, I'm a failure, et cetera, et cetera. If you you take. Training isn't easy. No. Why should life be easy? Exactly. Exactly. We bust our asses for every rep to get every quarter, every eighth of a pound on the bar. Hey, the, why the frick is life supposed to be easy? There was a reason why John Milhouse yep. put that quote from Nietzsche at yep. the beginning of the Conan movie. Yep. Whatever does not kill us makes us stronger. Absolutely. Um, it, life, as Doc Ridge used to say to me. You know, life is interesting. And I'm like, at first I was like, okay, but <laughs> life is interesting. And if you want to be a student and a scholar of it, unfortunately for most people, you're going to have to uh, skin your knuckles, skin your knees, and you're going to have to take an awful lot of punishment. And we know, like I trained today, brutal and they're getting better and better. Yeah, I fall on the sword sometimes, but that's the way it's going to be. But my my attitude is, well, we'll get it the next time. The next couple days, we'll get out there and get it. And if you live that type of formula, you're going to succeed, no matter what it is. But as you said, it's never going to be easy. But you know what? It, 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 the fun of it is, is once you conquer it, 
you got another story and you've got another opportunity to do something else. There's plenty of things I could talk about that we've got in the bin for 2019, but I won't do that because um, then they'll say, well, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. So I kind of keep it all close to the vest now. Exactly. But there's a lot of things going on. Talking about stuff jinxes it. You got it. Um, Even Einstein said that. I think so, Don't too. talk about stuff before it's it's a done deal. Nope. I like to write things in a journal, things like that. Uh, that way I know what it is. Um, be very grateful for things and just go after shit like a pit bull, man. And that's it. And you don't have to tell anybody anything. The, the beauty of it is um, conquering it and really having a lot of fun with it. Doc, summarize anything. Give out all your info. Let me give mine and just hang on the line, if you would, please. <laughs> Thank you. Hope I didn't bore all you folks out there with my life story. That was a great show, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. All of my writings can be found at drwong.u, as in United, S as in States, drwong.us. My radio shows, my early shows from 2007 to 2016, can be found at drwongradio.com. And if you go to YouTube... I think the place is called Dr. William Wong's Essentials of Life and Wellness okay. <laughs> on on YouTube. I've got all my podcasts since the summer of 2016 are there. All right. Um, this is Motivation Muscle Streaming Radio 24-7. Don't forget to go out to Fiorella Barbell at nightcap.r.com. If there's a show you like Dr. Wong and I to do, I'm sure we can put anything together. That's not even an issue. Um, we are on, let's see, Spotify now. We are on uh, Google Podcast. We're on iTunes and Stitcher, of course. You want to get us in your car, AHA directory. That's pronounced aha. If someone seeks you out in the gym or the concrete jungle, five words can inspire. Don't ever forget that. My mom would always say when we were kids, never be afraid to say hello to someone or give them a smile. You never know what people are going through. And this time of year, I know... It's very hard on a lot of people. As I said in the beginning, uh, we lost my father. It'll be December 15th, which is a couple weeks away. You know, you got to think of the best no matter what. And my, as I said, my dad was not that type of guy. He'd want you to move, do things, you know. Um, but, you know, he is my father, and I do owe him an awful lot, let me tell you. And the respect is one of the major things, and not to forget him. That's what it's about. Legacy, legacy, legacy. Also, too, um, if you're going to lift it, bend it, break it, twist it. If you're going to press it, pull it, squat it. If you're going to lift stones, turn them into dust. Turn them into dust. I was doing that today. Um, the uh, Hoosa Steel Stone, we call it domination, painted in blood red. Dominate, obliterate, and dent everything in your path. I mean that. We clear cut the path. We don't follow anyone. Um, no one will ever clip our balls. And as Russell Fur says, uh, when I listen to your shows, I swear there's testosterone coming out of my speakers. It's more like a tidal wave and it gets higher and wider all the time, brother. Uh, Frank Klein, my greatest business college professor, repetition, 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 quitters never win, winners never quit. My dad be a leader, not a follower. John Ridge, my greatest chiropractor, would walk every patient in the door and say, keep smiling. Say that to yourself on your best or worst day, or just say it. I guarantee you, you'll grin from ear to ear. Um, be a steward of strength. 
Don't stand on the side of the road and watch the world go by. Tell a hundred or more of your friends we're coming because we won't kick your door and we'll blow the roof off your house. Join the family. We're going to be around for 30 years at least. Tell your friends. Pass these podcasts out. Send these links out. Your kids. That's why we've really cooled the language right off. We want to bring them in. Period. Also, too, um, Les Brown, you all have greatness in you. We take it two steps further. We got your back, and we believe in you. And how many people would say that in today's day and age? And before Dr. Wong and I sign off, remember this. The world is asking something from you. You can ask from the world, too, but go out and offer a solution. Be part of something. Don't be a coward that sticks their head in the sand and says, I can't do anything. Yes, you can. And you've got to get yourself back out there. Um, Dr. Wong, uh, it's great to have you back. Awesome show, man. Um, And we'll get you back early next year. I I wish you and everyone out there a very blessed, merry, and happy Christmas. Yes, sir. Great and prosperous New Year. Yes, sir. And the same goes to you and Michelle. Believe me, for me, Um, I can't I can't ever thank you enough for being here, a friend, and the generosity you've given me and the support for Eminem. Um, It's it's very much appreciated. Believe me. Very welcome, sir. Um, And and we'll finish off with this. You're all winners, you're all champions, and you're all unstoppable. If someone's telling you other than that, you need to get away. I mean that. You need to go out and do what you want to do. And 2019 is right here. It's time. So go out and make a difference. So for Dr. William Wong, this is Eric Fiorello. Thanks for listening. Today is Monday. This show will be up no later than Thursday, but I will do everything I can to get it up on, yeah, on Wednesday for sure. And um, have a great week, everybody, and go out and do something magnificent. It's all up to you. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to Motivation & Muscle, the podcast that connected your brain to your brawn. We'll We'll see see you next time. time.